This episode of Wishful Breakaway is brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. Whoa! I know what you're thinking. Ryan, seriously? Do you say this every week? I do! And thank you so much for supporting us because we could not do it without you. And if you want to become a Patreon subscriber today, if you want to donate $1 a month to this shitty Rangers podcast that you somehow listen to every Tuesday, you can go to patreon.com slash Breakaway and donate a dollar today. Thank you so much. We have Shayna Goldman on the show today. Wonderful show talking about all the new baby Rangers. Let's transition. Hey, Bushwick Breakout fans. Welcome to another week of the Bushwick Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead, and I'm here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan. Greg, say hello. How excited are you, Ryan? I'm not even going to ask you what you're excited about, but how excited are you, Ryan? I'm not excited at all. I just got back from a bachelor party, which was a very lovely weekend. Uh, I'm half asleep, and I'm here recording with you. So you're not pumped at all that the Mets are giving John Franco a advisor slash scouting role within fuck, the organization? First of all, fuck you. This was a setup. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that at all. Uh, I'm not excited about that. I dislike John Franco immensely, and he's always at Ranger games. Actually, the Rangers tweeted the other night, John Franco in the house, and I almost threw up. I was just like, yeah. what is this? What is happening right he's, now? Him, the, the Mets gave him an Al Leiter uh, baseball advisor role. Oh, and they're gonna, great. How nice. They're gonna, you're, actually, the, the Al Leiter stuff is interesting because the, the way it was worded in the release, and we will get to Rangers shit, I promise. But I know you like sports psychology. And I do. They they said Lighter is going to focus on in-game mentality with their minor league pitchers. Okay. And I found that very interesting. I don't remember – I'm sure other organizations do it. I just don't remember, one, the Mets ever doing it, and two, it being worded that directly. Here's how that conversation went. You want to spend more time with your children so you won't to the Yankees broadcast? How about this job, which requires very little time for a lot of money? Oh, yes, that sounds good. Yeah, wait, doesn't it, his kid pitches for like the Phillies organization though? You're making it sound like his kids are young. They're, his kids are grown up. Are they? Didn't he They're leave? Not at, living at home. Whatever. Let's talk about the Rangers. Can we talk, we'll talk about this later in nonsense? Because seriously, we will do this later. We got we got another one star rating this week. Thanks, person that did that. Um, all right. Speaking of sports psychology and the mentality of a team, nice transition, Ryan. You're da- David Quinn has the Rangers playing a way that has me having some sort of feelings, as the kids say. I don't know if they say that, but I'm just going to go for it. Is, uh, is this the, the highest trending Q rating David Quinn has had? I uh, did not realize that Q rating and Quinn were going to relate like that. That pun was not intended. Yep. But cool. is, this, is, this his highest, is this his highest approval rating since taking office? It's not even, it feels like it is. It's not even close. I've, I think we've all turned a corner, or just rather... The internet that is Ranger fandom has turned a corner on David Quinn. Like, okay, I actually I get it. I get. I see what he's doing, and I like the way the team's playing, and I'm happy with the results despite all my favorite players getting traded and me being miserable as a fan. I think that's a fair place to put David Quinn currently because he has the team competing against a lot of squads that are quite good. I mean, we took the lightning to the wire when, frankly, we should not. And I think it's time to point out the obvious: if you are an ex Ranger. You will score against the Rangers. Dan Girardi, JT Miller. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Who am I missing here? There was one more. Carl Hagelin. Yep, Carl Hagelin was the other one. And it's just like you laugh, but I, and I don't know if this happens to other teams. Is it just us? I don't watch another hockey team as re- re- ah, religiously as the Rangers, obviously. But 
just every single time, Gregory, without fail. Like, Dan Girardi has four goals in the year, right? Just snipes an easy one from the corner. It's like, cool. Yeah, yeah, Dan, nice job, the, man. The thing, the thing that makes it seem a little bit more obvious that X Rangers score all the time is because it's it's not like star X players are doing this. Like JT Miller, JT Miller isn't surprising, but it was Carl Hagelin's first goal as a member of the Washington Capitals. And as you said, Dan Girardi noted not goal scorer. Yeah, sniping. Scoring a gimme. It, so it's, it's, it would be one if it was like Stepan, if it was Broussard, you kind of understand it. But it's it's more along the lines of the Anthony Duclairs of the world are scoring goals against the New York Rangers. Yeah, no matter who the Ranger is, like they could have scored two goals as the Rangers. They're like, I'm back, baby. You're getting a goal. That's it. The the other 30 teams in the NHL should just pass around Benoit Pouliot to whoever is playing the Rangers on a given night. He'd probably have a 60-goal season. It would be unbelievable. Anyway, back to the to David Quinn. Quinn has the team playing on all cylinders. And the Heedle stuff, where did you stand at it when it happened? And by the Heedle stuff, um, I mean, so people that don't know, Heedle was benched for a few games. Yeah, I was I was ready to be really angry about it because we're at the point in the season where the kids should just be playing, or so we think. And then we've had this discussion on the podcast at least twice. I know we've had it twice. Do you feel like every week we have, we have, have a, a conversation that's like, we've talked about this before, but... Right, but it, it just – I remember us vividly having a very long conversation once about how we asked each other why we get angry when hockey players get scratched, yet we don't get angry when players in other sports take a seat for a night yes, or two yes, or three. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was quick. I was ready to be pissed off about Heedle, and then I just – I started kind of mumbling to myself out loud just saying, don't, there's a reason behind it. You don't know what the reason is yet. It's not the end of the world that he's not – getting 80 games under his belt this season. He's playing important minutes when he plays, all that good stuff. And then Larry Brooks drops a piece today that quotes Heedle because Quinn admitted he put Heedle back in the lineup sooner than he wanted to. And Heedle flat out said, bro, I'm fucking tired. This is the longest season I've ever endured in my entire hockey career. I'm 19 years old. This shit's a grind. So part of it is Quinn doing the tough love, right? Because Quinn's words were Heedle – for lack of a better term, Hedo was getting lazy in his game. He wasn't playing the type of hockey David Quinn expects from him. I thought the, I do the takeaway from Quinn just... there was the fact that he said, Hedo has to redefine what hard work is. Right. He, like, he, he doesn't actually know what just, it is. I, well, I, I think Quinn is telling him what it is. Right. It, it seems like, regardless of how you feel about certain players getting scratched, the message is getting through. David Quinn is a master communicator. Something that Elaine Vino clearly was not. Clearly. And this team continues to make pot shots at Vino, just un- maybe unintentionally with the quotes they're giving, but the quotes. Do you have, like, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but do you have one like that comes to mind? Because I, I, I'm just curious. Uh, Mika Zabinjad said after the trade deadline, this year feels extremely different than last year. Last year, it felt like the team kind of gave up after the deadline. Right. And this year, this team doesn't quit. Uh, those weren't the exact words, but I remember him saying exactly that it felt like we gave up after the deadline last year. Well, it looked like it too. Uh, and that, so. Yeah, and that 100%, that's Elaine Vino. That's the thing that's different between this year and last year. Um, but back back to Heedle, when, when Quinn said we need to redefine what hard work for is, for is with him, it, some of it is Heedle's probably gassed. And if, and if you're gassed, you're going to get lazy in practice because your legs just aren't there for you. So 
if if seventy five percent of it is effort, but twenty five percent of it comes off as what's the thing you need in order to give effort, which is energy in your legs. And Heedle himself is saying how fucking tired he is. So I I was ready to be mad, um, and then I, I scaled it back. I I just I I decided to give in because at the same time, Ryan, I think we have to admit. It's the stretches worked. are working. It's worked. It's worked. And I hate to be Tony D'Angelo between the conversations we were having about Tony D'Angelo earlier in this season, and the conversations we're having now, night and day. It couldn't be uh, different, by the Pavel way. Buchnevich, more different. Pavel Buchnevich might be playing the best month of hockey he's ever played as a New York Ranger. Is that even debatable? Uh, honestly, I, I I think he's had better point like point total months, but his game looks different. He he looks. He looks – he's playing with an edge that we haven't seen Pavel Buchanovich played with before. Do you feel – because I kind of feel this way. Something feels – since the trade deadline, and it's only been a week, right? But just something about the team feels entirely different. Like the we rolled out the kids for the first time, really, every single one of the kids against the Capitals. And the team just felt like it had a totally different identity. Like, oh, these are the new Rangers. This is not – the guys I was hanging out with the last seven years. These are all new friends. And that's, that's, I felt that way for the first real time against the Capitals. Am I crazy for thinking that? I don't think you're crazy for thinking it. I don't know. I, I, I think what it comes down to is just how we're viewing the team. When the veterans were here, we were dealing with a cloud hanging over this team that wouldn't go away. Every conversation we had about the Rangers, regardless of what the fuck was going on, was what are we getting for Zuccarello, Hayes, and McQuaid? When are we getting it? And is it going to be enough? So without that conversation anymore, it, then it, we started every podcast with something along those lines. Once you take that variable out of the equation, all we're doing now is evaluating how the Rangers are playing. Every, all the bullshit is gone. There, it no longer, it, it's not there. It, there's nothing for us to say. Even the Kreider stuff, none of us are really actively thinking about what the Rangers are going to do with Chris Kreider over the summer. Not right yet. now it's just, we have kids. Let's see how they play. So I, I, I do think the trade deadline, if anything, it, it just it, it removed the fog. And now we're, we're simply watching a young hockey team play hockey. It helps that they're playing well. Uh, we like everything we've seen. We were stunned. I, I don't know about you. Stunned when Lieber Hayek got the call up. Stunned. But at the same time, his two games, they've been solid. I, he hasn't been a world beater. But considering the year he was having in Hartford, the fact that he's even played solid in his first two games – one of the more pleasant surprises of the last week. I was reading some quotes about Hayek, and they they, they called him like uh, extremely calm, and is you know really not an excitable guy. And the fact that maybe at the NHL level, he could just kind of be like kind of like I don't I you know how we describe Bunieves like he's not like a pus or a minus. That's kind of how I feel Hayek could be the rest of this year, where he's like just trying to get his feet, just trying to skate around and and really feel his way through the NHL because the team in Hartford is awful. He had no one he was really playing with down there. I mean, I guess I could talk about some players that I think should should have gotten a shot up here this year. But Hayek coming up, uh, I think it's refreshing because you're going to be able to see all the returns from all these trades that we've made over the past couple years. And now you're seeing the fruits of your labor for trading Ryan McDonough, which is, you know, is it enough? We'll find out in a few years. But Hayek uh, is definitely a stu- still viewed by Gorton as a high-ranking prospect. And we'll get a nice uh, viewing of him over these next 18 games. I think I, th- I think I, I we you and I love prospects in baseball, right? Love it's, them. It's one of the it's it's maybe the thing we are most obsessed with 
in sports at this point in time. I think we're quick to judge prospects in other sports because in baseball, it's ingrained in us that they all have multiple years of development, right? There's almost no prospect that doesn't get at least a year and a half in the minor leagues. I can think of, I think Ryan Zimmerman is a guy who went a month in the minors and then was called up, but he is very much the exception and not the rule. Yeah, there's very few um, players that can do that. I want to take you back to 2014 for a second, Ryan. Go for because it. Because I, I need to make a prospect comparison with Lieber Hayek in a way where it was just how we were translating what this guy could be, not saying that Lieber Hayek is going to become a star. Mm-hmm. But in 2014, the Mets promoted Noah Syndergaard to AAA for the first time. I, I thought you were going to make a Ranger comparison. I'm such an idiot. No, I, I'm not <laughs> I'm such, I fell I, so hard for that. I'm such an idiot. You, you really are. But in 2014, the Mets, the Mets promoted Noah Syndergaard to AAA, mm-hmm. and he had a bad year. He couldn't throw any of his secondary pitches for strikes. Uh, even AAA hitters were able to see a 98, 99-mile-an-hour fastball and hit it very far. He posted a 460 ERA. I believe his FIP was worse than that. And the conversation around Noah Syndergaard was, is this just a guy that can throw really hard? Does he even have a future? Is he just going to be a high-end reliever? That, that was the conversation about Noah Syndergaard after his first year at the highest level of the minors. History took over after that. He's a perennial all-star when he's healthy, one of the best pitchers in the National League. Your first year in a completely different environment, completely different league, if you don't have the pieces around you, especially in a sport like baseball, you can kind of control your own production, right? Mm-hmm. If the rest of your team sucks, it doesn't really have an impact on uh, you, who you are. bats yes. or you're the pitches you're throwing. Baseball is both one of the greatest team sports, but also it's it's really nine individuals trying to get to the same goal. In hockey, if you're in a bad system, unless you're Connor McDavid, the fuck are you going to be able to do? Speaking of Connor McDavid, system? just just to get off on a tangent for a second, we'll come right back to Hayek. I'm looking at Tankathon, right, as I do every week on this podcast. Currently, the Rangers sit number nine at the Tankathon standings. Edmonton, that's six, they're below us. They have Connor McDavid. That's ridiculous. Yeah, they only have... They have that's a team that has Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. Like in fantasy, you can do stars and scrubs and see if it works. I don't think you can do it in real life because the Oilers have tried and it clearly has. Can hasn't you worked. even think for a second if the New York Rangers had Connor McDavid and we had 63 points in the beginning of March? Can you even think about what that would be like? We would be flipping uh, balls. Would it be good? Let me tell you that. Um, it's almost as if, like, imagine for a second the greatest player in baseball not being on a good team. Huh, interesting. Hmm. 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 Really makes it think. Huh. Really makes it think. Huh. Weird. Uh, 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 all right, enough of that. But, Back to Hayek. But Enjoy. Hayek, yeah. I just, if Hayek, you're going to struggle. Your, I, I, Unless you're truly special, I feel like you struggle when you make a giant leap. And from going from juniors to the AHL, that's a giant leap. You're playing against men. Lieber Hayek was clearly one of the most talented players against his peers in juniors, and he skewed older than most of the guys in that league. Sure, the guys playing in the AHL aren't the Connor McDavid's, the Eric Carlson's, the Victor Hedman's of the world, but they're they're bigger. They've done it for longer. You're gonna struggle. So I don't I I remember going on a rant when we got back from Europe about people were giving the kiss of death to Hayek's developmental path already guys let him fucking develop it becomes a problem in year two if the bad patterns are being 
repeated. That's when it's a problem. But year one, I expect most prospects to struggle in year one. It's the same reason why rookie of the years, most more times than not, aren't point-per-game players. We expect a good rookie season is 40-plus points. And if, if Jimmy VC is a guy that puts up almost 40 points a year, I'm not here saying Jimmy VC is a great NHL player. We have different expectations for rookies. It's one of those weird things where this is the first time the Rangers have a shit ton of rookies. Yep. So we're just expecting them to be great out of the gates. It's not how development works. It's, it's just not. Not everyone's going to be Aaron Judge. A lot of people are going to be someone like Didi Gregorius, who was rough his first year and a half in the major leagues. Or two, three years, yes. But yeah, just it's a development process, like you said. And we're playing the kids, which was the goal of the entire year. And we're finally doing it. Hey, you want a shot at the NHL? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring you up. Now, there is one player we should not bring over for another six games. And I don't know how you feel about this, but this is we're now officially on Kravstov watch, which is Kravstov's season has ended in the KHL. There are rumors that he'd like to come over to the Rangers. If he does play more than 10 games, he burns his ELC, which is the entry-level contract. No, that- so if he signs his ELC and plays on any level, even one game, that burns the year. Oh, it's not, so just, it's not 10 games? No, uh, because he, I think that he's, he's too old. You had to be under a certain age at a certain point in the year, and Kravtsov is too old. Podcast host we're learning talking about with him. Yeah, what we're talking about with him isn't the first year of his ELC. It's whether he's going to be exempt from the expansion draft or not. If he plays 11 games or less this year at any level, New York or Hartford, on his ELC, he will be exempt. If he only plays on a, a PTO in Hartford, then the Rangers can wait until the summer to sign him to his ELC, and that, that's how his ELC can slide. But if I'm Kravtsov, I, I have no idea why I would do that. Hartford's a dumpster fire. And this is one of those rare instances where I, I think the Rangers have to kind of give in to what Kravtsov wants because at the end of the day, he can just be like, I want to play in New York. I will – concede to only playing 11 games to help you. But if you try and stash me in Hartford, I'm just going to sign another one-year deal in Russia. Right. And I'm just going to stay I'm not, over here. I'm not coming year. back next year, and I'll come back the year after. Right. So he, Kravtsov, unlike most young players, has a lot of power under his belt. And I, I if I was him, I would swing it as much as I could. Because personally, um, and you know how I feel, I don't think he should come over at all. And he should start his next year here next uh, next season. That's it. I do not I want him over. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm not – I don't really care about the first year of his ELC. It's kind of, it's kind of like arbitration rights. So what? So you're going to pay him extra a year earlier. The New York Rangers almost have a blank check when it comes to cap space for their long-term future. There aren't a lot of contracts after 2020. No, 2022 so is wanna, just Shea and Sabinajad. That's it. Yeah, so if you want to – if you're worried about paying – Crafts off a year earlier than you than you would otherwise. I'd rather him get ten games with David Quinn now. Try to get that just feels like so little games. Have him get his ten games on the fourth line now, so he's more prepared to play top nine minutes next year. Does that? Uh, I'm making a Greg noise. Does that really matter for for a player's development? Those I, ten I, games. Well, I, I don't know if it matters for a player's development. I think it matters for David Quinn. I I don't think David Quinn likes unknown variables. I think he likes having 
a pretty good grasp of what you can do before he gives you and who you responsibility are. in order to do bigger things. And if it, I'm not saying 10 games will be an end all be all with uh Kravstov, but it's 10 games. The Rangers will have in the bank and will David Quinn will have in the bank. If it helps David Quinn make an evaluation for next year, whatever it is all for it. Um, I, I really don't care about burning the extra year of control on the ELC. I care about the ex- expansion exemption. I would I would like it for that to slide. But, I mean, simple math. The Rangers have 17 games left in this season. They could give Krasov a complete week off, announce this deal next week, take another week to bring him over, give him another week of practice, and you're, you're looking at, I think, I think like March 19th is the target day where if he starts, if he plays in every Ranger game after March 19th, he can't hit it. I'll double check for you, but that sounds I think, right. I think, yeah, I think that timeline works. There's no, there's no reason to burn him out, right? So there's no point in signing him right now, bringing him over, and having him play in all 17 games. He's had a long year. He's 19 years old. We just talked about how Philip Hedl's gassed. Kravtsov is playing on a shitty Russian team, expected to do a whole fuckload. He did a whole fuckload. Let's play him fourth line minutes for 10 games. Get, it, get his feet wet in the NHL. Give him a taste. March 19th is so correct. He can play 10 we, games after that. There you go. We burn a year of the ELC, but he's still he's still exempt from the expansion draft. I'm all for it. It doesn't bother me at all. I guess I just think he does have a lot of negotiating power in this situation. Obviously, it's not, not somewhere you want to be at the Rangers, but I guess it's not that big a deal in the long run. I'd like to not burn it, but if he wants to come over, I don't want to burn my relationship. I think the relationship is way more important uh, than any any sort of like keeping contract control uh, for another couple of years, especially like the way... Players dislike it, and again, another cross-sport reference. People, the players hate it in baseball. The fact that certain the players play- hate it so much in baseball that we will have a strike. Yes, that's part. We joke about a work stoppage in the NHL. Baseball will have a strike in the next two years, and that's because that's part of it. The ELC. Uh, uh, I don't. Is it, how do we describe it in baseball? It's more like the not arbitration. Arbi- arbitration contract. rights. Yeah, contract control. Service, service time evaluations. Hmm, okay. Uh, so Kraftsoff. Maybe he comes over. Maybe he plays his first game as a Ranger as soon as March 19th. That's kind of exciting. At least from the fan perspective, you could say, hey, this is our first-round pick. This guy might be like the future of the franchise. He could be the next star of the Rangers. I think that's not too crazy to say. We'll see. We'll see how Kravtsov plays I, out. I, I, think, I think it's possible his ceiling is now higher than that of Heedles, which I didn't think possible last summer. Agree. I, but I agree with you. He's had a... He's had a nearly flawless year of development in Russia, which is not unexpected. But it's just funny looking at the year Krasov had in Russia and the year Oliver Wallstrom's had at BC. Oh, Wallstrom's well. year has been terrible. Poor He's baby. like a half-point-a-game player in college right now. It, it's bad. Well, bad. We put our, our, uh, our heads in our hands when we drafted Krasov, and we are eating crow about that. Let's talk about Brendan Smith. I've never what? been more excited. Never been more excited to be wrong. What the hell is going on with Brendan Smith? I want to talk about that because I'm in, I'm entering a point now where I'm actually intrigued by everything that's going on with Brendan Smith. And I'm not saying it's the redemption train or anything. I, but I, I feel like a different kind of train is pulled into the station. And I don't know if the Rangers did this intentionally at first, the, the, but it, it it feels like a beautiful mistake where. I doubt you – I know you had a busy weekend, so I doubt you watched yesterday's game at all. I um, watched the highlights today. Yes, I was, uh, I was at a bachelor party, so I didn't have time to watch the Ranger game. So there's a 10-minute stretch where Kevin Shattenkirk thought he lost a couple teeth 
left the game, wasn't on the bench. Uh, but and before the game, the Rangers said they were sticking with Smith at wing, and they scratched Nieves and Brickley. So hmm. they had not just two viable forward players that could play on the fourth line, but guys that Quinn has said he's liked. And instead they went with Smith, which I, I didn't say anything about it. I just noted that it was interesting, very interesting. Um, Smith was getting PK time in the first period as a defender. Strange. Uh, they, they were trying to take Pionk away from Stahl. So they put Smith on the PK with Stahl. And it, it worked reasonably well. And then Shattenkirk goes down with an injury. And what they do is they, they instead of playing a defenseman short, they played a winger short. And they, they double shifted on the wing. And they put Smith um, on a defensive line. I believe they just slotted him right in with Hayek. From what I and read, it, it Smith, into- Smith was actually sort of suitable playing wing. Well, that's the thing. He he hasn't been – he's not scoring, right? But at the same time, you don't really care if your fourth-line defensively responsible wing is scoring. That's not the point of the role. I I wonder if, Brendan, if the Rangers have fallen into a situation where they've created a scenario where Brandon Smith is a jack-of-all-trades utility player and he's valuable at it. I don't, he's not $4 million valuable at it. But he's $2 million valuable at it. I think he might be because if – think about it. If, if you're – I wonder how far away we are from something like positionless hockey. And if – That if is a team, wild uh, proposition you just made. Well, I Positionless just, I just, hockey, I, I, I think we're pretty far away from that. But maybe I we're don't not. know, but I, I think about it with someone like Brendan Smith who he's held his own on the wing. He's clearly responsible defensively. His defensive numbers are good enough where you, you don't mind putting him on your PK unit in a pinch. Mm-hmm. If a defender goes down mid-game, it's a lot easier to play a forward short than it is a defender short. Have the Rangers accidentally stumbled into something with Brendan Smith where they can actually market him to another team and have it be worth something? Because it feels like they have. So it's, you- it's very interesting. The, the Rangers' fourth line, in all honesty, it's played pretty well with Brendan Smith on the wing. I don't feel like when when Smith's in the lineup, I'm no longer saying the Rangers are playing 11-7. It feels like the Rangers are playing 11-6 with a utility guy. It's funny you mentioned all this because I think it's it's if you listen back to some of our other podcasts, we talk about uh, some of the players that Hedl was playing with, right? And now we're like, he's playing with Brendan Smith, and that's okay, which is just such a weird. I feel like we've changed so much in the past three weeks in Rangers Town that I, I'm not really sure how to process all of it just yet. Because now, now we're okay and happy with Heedle playing with Brendan Smith because he's on the fourth line now, right? I'm not. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm happy and okay with it. And Heedle earned himself a promotion mid-game um, in the Capitals. He ended the game, I believe, on the line with Zibanejad and VC, and it was Kreider playing with Buchnevich and Howden to end the game. That's sexy stuff, uh, by the way. So it 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 was fun. I I kind of like spreading the love at that point in the season, especially in game. It's not so much that I'm happy Heedle's playing with Smith. It's more that I think Smith is a very viable forward for what the Rangers want to do. And if you want to put him on a – Heedle's big knock is, it seems, as a 19-year-old, uh, people would like him to be more defensively responsible. Well, one way to make sure that that line is more defensively responsible and you give them more minutes, have fucking three defensemen on the ice at once. Let Heedle do whatever he wants to do offensively. It, it stinks from a, a standpoint of – Offense creating offense for a guy like Brendan Smith, who's 
devoid of finishing. But at the same time, it's you're not worried about coverage in your own zone because you have three defensively resp- – well, two defensively responsible guys on the ice if Neil Pionk is also on the ice. So I, I don't know. It just it's, – it's interesting that the Rangers had a choice. David Quinn had a choice. He could have simply kept Nieves or Brickley in the lineup and played them with Howden and Heedle. And he clearly likes something Brendan Smith is doing on the wing. And I can't, I, I can't argue it because Smith has been solid. It's he's, all about this is, this is everything we wanted from this year. The last like weeks, everything we wanted from the entire year, which is we're experimenting and trying to get value out of players that we probably shouldn't get value out of. And we are. And it's very nice. Uh, yeah, I, I, really, I really think the Rangers accidentally stumbled into something with Brendan Smith. And again, you're not going to get a team to take that entire contract. Though, the only the team that could take that entire ta- contract is Ottawa. Ottawa has to do something to hit the cap floor next year. Uh, much smarter people than us have talked about it. And why would they take Ottawa's going to be a very popular Ottawa's going to be a very popular trade partner for teams like Tampa Bay, who has a Braden Point contract to worry about. Winnipeg, who's got a Patrick Line contract to worry about. Uh, San Jose, who the, might want to create a little Leafs. breathing room for their Eric Carlson. The Leafs. Ottawa's going to be very popular for teams dumping salary. So if the Rangers wanted to get in on that before the going got good and attached one of their many additional draft picks this year and next year to Brendan Smith, I think you could. But at the same time, if I'm the Rangers, I'm marketing Brendan Smith as a utility player at just over $2 million this year and seeing who wants to nibble. Because I, I just think it's fascinating what they stumbled on. The Leafs have had so many problems defensively this year. What if the Leafs had – say the Leafs can't keep both of – uh, Andres Janssen and Kasperi Kapanen. And they want a defensively responsible fourth-line winger while also addressing their defense because Jake Gardner is not coming back this year. That's kind of like a leap mar- fantasy, to be honest, what you're describing, too. And you, he could tout himself as, like, the future of hockey well, as he does it. Yeah, and instead of, instead of having to carry seven defensemen who could only play defense, carry six defensemen and a utility guy that, if you need a pinch can slide in defensively, but can also play a fourth-line wing. I don't know. I just It's actually not the it, worst idea It's we've ever had. No. First of all, we didn't have it. David Quinn had this idea before we did. We're just now finally realizing, I don't think when he started playing Smith on the wing, it was kind of out of necessity. It wasn't I – don't, I don't even think David Quinn could have guessed how well it's worked, but it, it has, and it seems like the Rangers – might be able to market this as something. At the same time, it, I mean, it, it depends on what else the Rangers want to do this offseason, but I, I, I'd be I, I'm past the point of we're buying out Brendan Smith. I don't think they are anymore. I, I truly believe this team found something of value, not $4 million worth of value, but of enough value where I think they can flip it if they retain salary. And that'll be an interesting storyline to pay attention to in the next couple of weeks. But let's, for right now, get to our guest from The Athletic. We have our good friend Shayna Goldman on to talk about Jeff Gorton and some other Ranger topics. Let's transition over there. Transition. Back with our only guest of the day, we have the infamous, I think that's an appropriate title, Shayna Goldman. Shayna, say hello. Hi. Thanks for coming on. Even though Thanks I know you, you know you're a little sick, you're a trooper, 
And it's much appreciated for you coming on the uh, the illustrious Blue Shirts Breakaway podcast, of course. We only have athletic writers such as you and Rick here. We're just so prestigious and such. Uh, and I know that, <laughs> you know, the athletic use to sponsor us. Come back, please. Anyway, let's talk about the article you wrote today called, uh, you wrote, Identifying the Tendencies that, ha- that Have Defined Jeff Gordon's Tenure as a Rangers GM So Far. And kind of your thesis for this was sort of every GM sort of has their quirk, like Shirelli gets housed in trades, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you really find out without spoiling the entirety of the piece uh, that Jeff Gordon's tendency is? I think it's tough to identify like exactly what he is because like you think of the Rangers, you're not thinking of Gordon, you're thinking of Glenn Sather and like rightfully so. Um, but he, he's definitely a less aggressive general manager and he's, he's to this point staying the course with the rebuild and all of that. So it's encouraging to see that, but also, you know, he, he leaves you wanting more and I don't know if that's a good or bad thing because I guess it's better to be cautious but you know you gotta you gotta thread the needle just a little bit more and uh, go for skill, not character. Character's good, but you know gotta have that skill first and things like that. You know I went through like drafting, free agents, um, extensions, and trades, and there's definitely a bunch of things there that like I'm sure if you're on the Edmonton Oilers or something, you're thinking, holy shit, I wish my general manager did things like that. But you know you might be on the Florida, I mean on the Tampa Bay Lightning, being like, and you find that impressive, like please. Well, does yeah, I, I, well, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in on you, Ryan, here. I know. Cause I feel like there, there's almost two sides to the Jeff Gordon coin, right? Where we, we get annoyed sometimes by the players he seems to identify on the trade market. It feels like almost every player he's gotten back in a trade can be described as a character guy or, or a, gritty, a guy that does a specific thing. But not everyone, the, not, not everyone, but Strom. Well, I, I don't know. When we when we had um, uh, we had DNB on from mm-hmm. the the Athletic Edmonton, and he was saying, Strom is a third line forward who's defensively responsible and is going to do good things for Actually, you. He's yeah, just a not point. a fifth overall pick. Yeah, um, this is true. This is really true. The Leas Anderson pick, notwithstanding, he does swing for the fences in the draft. Yeah, and I, I, I so it's interesting to me that we have a, a general manager who. He identified Brandon Lemieux in the Kevin Hayes trade, and Lemieux could work, no question about it. But there were definitely more talented players he might be able to identify. But then in the draft, he, I, again, without the Leas pick, Heedle was a stretch at the end of the first round. It's worked out pretty well. Uh, Kravtsov at the time seemed like a stretch at nine. Keandre Miller trading up to get him. Some felt that was a stretch. He swings for the fences in the draft, and I, it's just – I don't know how you feel about it. It's just interesting to me that it seems like he's willing to roll the dice on his lottery tickets, but when he's acquiring as more known assets, he just likes to know what he's getting. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, I do wonder though, because think about it when he had, when he picked Leah Sanderson and he picked Tito, like he still had two first rounders. He had at least three first rounders this past year. Would he be swinging for the fences if he only had one first round pick? Maybe. Leah Sanderson wasn't the pick he was going for. Maybe he did want to go for someone like um, McCarr and was thinking, I'm going to trade up. And then when he had both picks, he went with, you know, the more dependable one and he didn't end up doing anything with that second first rounder. He's like, oh, I'm going for Heedle. And I could be totally talking out my ass. But he is going for it when he has multiple options. So at least I'm swinging for skill. What's the chances that all three don't work out? And like, you know, trading up for Kendra Miller, I think was my favorite move of the draft. 
I that first round was a slam dunk through and through. The second round, I don't understand the Limbaugh pick, and we'll never understand second round goalie it, picks. We'll never get it. Yeah, no, and especially like no offense, Tim. I'm sure like you're fine, whatever. But of all the goaltenders to to be um, ready to be drafted and whatever, he was kind of one of the lower ranking ones. So I'm not. I'm not fully on the Ingordi I trust, and that's that. Look, he's the same person who was there throughout, you know, a lot of say there his tenure. And, you know, Gordon hasn't edited as many of his own people. It, a lot of it is working off of uh, say there's people, and, you know, not all of them have the most innovative ideas. They're a little bit more of the traditionalist. So maybe that's the selling point. We have multiple first round picks. We can go for skill. We don't have to step back and go, oh, let's go for the character guy. Or maybe they genuinely recognize, like, hey, we have Ryan Lindgren, Liber Hayek. And Brett Howden, three prospects we just got at the deadline, and each one of them we define as a character player. You know, literally each one they added, they said, oh, look at this character guy that we're adding in. Not once was it skill with character, it was character with skill. So you got to at some point say, oh, oh, yeah, we need it the other way around too. I think the only two people we haven't really described as high skill guys are Heedle and Kravstov. Was there anybody else? I mean, I guess Kyodre Miller is like described as raw. Yeah. But you definitely have heard both because you're like, oh, what an amazing person he is. And then also look at what he can do. But he was also a forward, you know, like that's true. He just started playing defense like last year. Yeah, it's a risky pick. And even um, Nils Lundqvist, like he's a skilled pick, but you you haven't heard as much about him, I guess, as the other three. And maybe it's because, you know, the KHL, everyone kind of knew like, oh, look, it's crafts off. Like you have to sell that one. You didn't go for Wallstrom. But with Kondra Miller, it was a little bit easier. He plays in North America and it's easier to watch Wisconsin. Well, every single time Keandre Miller does an interview, every single comment below it is future captain. That that's it. How many future captains do they have? I mean, how didn't you hear that with Leas? You hear that with and now Keandre Miller. Who else is going to get the future captain? Well, that's a lot of high character guys, Shada. I think you're catching on. Yeah, and if you but the wild card would be like, I would love it, genuinely love it if like Zabanaj adds the wild card. I think to get the captaincy because like you're going to think Kreider maybe brings Zuccarello back and give it to him or just give it to Stahl for the next couple of years. Like who the hell knows what they could go for. But if you give it to Zabanjad, he's young enough that it kind of like knocks a lot of these guys out of the running for captaincy unless they get it when they're in like their late to mid-30s. Well, Zabanjad definitely has earned the right, especially this year, to, to don the C. But yeah. I'm not sure that'll end up being the case. I'm actually not sure we'll have a captain next year. I'm really still kind of on the fence about it. And I'm not sure that matters also. I, st- no. I still feel like the C is dependent on a Kreider extension. Because it just... There's something about this team, and Shana, feel free to disagree with me because I feel like what I'm about to say might not actually be true. Uh, it does kind of feel like Kreider's locker room now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you could kind of see it. Um, God, what was it? I think it was last year after the draft, they had like some of the kids on like, you know, new shows, and it was like three prospects and Chris Kreider. Like he was like the dad. <laughs> and it was like, okay, this is new because Chris Kreider was always the young guy. And now they're kind of like, well, look at him. He's our smart older gentleman that's leading the way for the kids you know like it's totally different how they're how they're framing him now he wasn't he wasn't the voice you went to you went to Zuccarello you went to McDonough and obviously there's always going to be Lundquist but yeah I mean I I can see that but I could also see why they're like maybe another player would thrive a little bit more with that like maybe if you gave it to Zabanjad and you say Kreider just play like, I don't know how they view it you know like some teams are like oh they can't handle the captaincy like all that shit you heard about with McDonough like Throughout his time, they're like, oh, he's not playing as well because he can't handle the pressure of it. Like, I have no idea what they'll think of that. The McDonough captaincy yeah. is such a weird error. 
era to rather to cover because people either like loved him, but he didn't really say anything. He wasn't too vocal, kind of like a silent leader kind of deal. So I think that's why he kind of took a lot of criticism. I was I was in Buffalo for Rangers Sabres, and there were Ranger fans sitting in a reception. I remember at least two of them at one point turning to me and saying something like, McDonough just couldn't handle the captaincy. I was like, what the fuck does that even mean? What, what do you mean he couldn't handle the captaincy? <laughs> I spoke to um, Joe Smith, who's the Tampa Bay writer for The Athletic, about it, and he did that McDonough story um, recently, right? What was it like last? Yeah, yeah it was, yeah. just came out. Um, we were talking about it, and he was saying like how well respected McDonough was in the room, and how much the players in New York liked him. He had spoken to Derek Stepan from you know for the story, and players, you know, the former Rangers in the Tampa locker room, and and you know the ones that are his newer teammates, and like it was all kind of the same. They all said he was a great leader. He's you know, great to have in the locker room and everything like that. Like there was nothing negative to say there. And obviously you're not going to be like telling a reporter like, yeah, he, he, he was horrible at it. Like, you know, you're never going to hear that, but you also aren't going to praise someone if you don't feel that way. You're just going to kind of like, you know, get around that. And when you hear it from everyone, it should tell you something, even if he wasn't that vocal captain to the media, like who cares? Your coach wasn't either. And you were okay with it because he wasn't Tortorella until David Quinn came along. Now you're all like, yeah. I miss Tortorella. I don't, I don't care what anyone says. I miss John Tortorella. Wait till I they die. I, I, understand, <laughs> I understand that Tortorella isn't exactly the greatest X's and O's hockey coach, but it's it's like the same shit I had with other managers of my other favorite teams. It's, I just love a guy who's not willing, who doesn't have a fucking filter. And it's great. Yeah. I need more people without a filter in hockey. And I'm going to miss – if John Torrell ever steps away from the game, I'm I'm gonna miss the shit out of him. I feel That's like all I'm Quinn say. has been sort of filtered, but also unfiltered at the same time. I don't think he's really coach speaking everyone too often. Or am I wrong in saying that? He I guess here and there, but not not as often. I, I think he doesn't he, come he, off. He's he's very controlled in what he says. Like he's not afraid to say things, and he's not afraid to tell it like it is to the media with how he's handling his players. Exactly, he feels genuine. But, He's yeah. he's not gonna he's not gonna go out to the media and answer like a reporter's cell phone because their mom was calling for it. No, Torts will actually that do was that. So yes. funny. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. Um, but like, Shana, just oh, sorry. Okay. No, you go, and then I want to circle back to your piece because I have a question. Okay, um, I like how he defends Hank though, and I think that's very important because last year you would hear it, you know, oh, we're a goaltending roll away from this, and it was like that is a load of crap. Your team sucks, and your goaltender is the only reason you can do anything, and that could be said throughout your entire career, but that's, you know, a whole nother story. I really appreciate how Quinn has handled it. And it's obviously at this point, it's, oh, this season doesn't matter. You're going to bounce and you're going to preserve him. But even earlier, like it was that game against Pittsburgh. He had just faced a huge shot load the night before, two nights before that. They threw him right back out first Pittsburgh and he didn't have a good game. And he came out and said, he was like, don't put that loss on Lundqvist. Put it on me. I shouldn't have played him. You know, he needed the mental rest, the physical rest, and don't overlook the mental rest. And I was just like, okay, okay, sold. Right there, sold. I won't criticize you as much. Like, you're supporting Lundquist. Haven't had that in a while. Thank you. God, Avi's the worst. As you were saying. All right, Craig, go on. Yeah, I just bouncing off that point. Quinn said today that it was likely to be in a 50 50 split the rest of the season with Lundquist and George Evan. I was like, oh my God, it's a fucking NHL coach who knows that this team isn't good enough to make the playoffs. Also, so George has been amazing. In the world. Yeah. He's been really good. Um, and I, I, I do want to talk to George Evan a little bit, but first, Back to uh, Shana's piece because it's topical and it's on on the mind. Uh, you did mention Shana, some of Gorton's dealings in the free agent market, and mm-hmm. I, I find maybe this the most interesting aspect of Gorton's tenure as a Ranger general manager because it, it feels like where we just talked about how 
he focuses on character guys and trades with maybe the exception of Rykov. And he tries to swing as much as he can in the draft with maybe the exception of Anderson. On the free agent market, it feels like he at least understands the last couple of years, there just haven't been guys on the market. So instead of spending to spend, he's just sitting out because there's no one worth his time. And I feel like that goes underappreciated because you don't get this summer's cap space without two years ago saying someone like, I don't know. Well, I I won't even go two years ago. Just saying like Jack Johnson has no purpose signing a five-year deal with the New York Rangers. It's not worth it. I'd rather not have a defender. Yeah, no. So I, I feel like I, just like that that aspect of, of Gorton, I feel like we don't give him enough praise for. Because outside of Shattenkirk, like you say, his only other big long-term free agent contract technically is Brendan Smith. Yeah, well, But even that is kind of a, a resigning. So Shattenkirk is really the one unrestricted free agent he's brought in. He's sat out everywhere else. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know about you guys. I can't think of a player where I'm like, I, God, I fucking wish the Rangers had him. Things would be different if we did. That player just doesn't exist in the free agent market until this year. I don't yeah. know. I'm trying to think of who that player would actually be. Of like, who's the who's the biggest free agent we quote unquote missed out on? I think right after Stepan was traded, and this isn't even a big free agent thing. I think there were depth centers they should have jumped at that they didn't. But um, that was like my one like free agent qualm. Like you really could have, should have. I don't remember who it was, but there were definitely like a couple centers and. You know, you had a first and a second line guy with Zabanjad and Hayes, but your bottom uh, bottom six needed anything. Then, like, uh, you know, besides what they actually had, it was, you know, you gave Bunyavis a shot eventually. Brennan um, Kraken, a lot didn't work. And you had Darnay. Like, that yeah, was the one you I feel like they should have went I legit forgot about David Darnay yeah, until God right now. God yeah. damn. Yeah, so did I. I went through, I was going through signings, and I'm like, oh, right, that was a thing. And, Yeah. Not great. No, <laughs> not here. Not here. Not here for it ever again. No, I'm. I'm just. I've blocked it out of my mind because the Rangers are just so exciting now. And uh, speaking of exciting and sort of like change of culture and character, guys, what have you thought so far about the Lemieux uh, sort of play and trade uh, of of his style and what he brings to the Rangers? I think they could have gone. Okay, I'm going to put it two ways because I'm going to get yelled at for saying I already have. Like you're, you're I, on the I internet, I- so. Yeah, I said one thing about it. Like, I don't think they should be, like, prioritizing character as much. Like, it's all great and wonderful. And, like, so many people are like, well, you need that to win a cup. And I'm like, yes, that's what you add in the free agent market for no money. Like, the Grabner picks and, you know, those kinds of signings. Like, that's when you add that. You don't put, oh, Kevin Hayes, our best trade asset that's actually being moved. Because, you know, until Kreider, who is, like, the maybe being moved, he obviously, like, takes that over. But at that point, Kevin Hayes is your best trade asset. That's not what you're going for with it. You want to go for skill with that because your other players aren't going to get you that. If it was Adam McQuaid that was traded for someone that was a character guy, I wouldn't say shit because what are you going to get for Adam McQuaid? You got less than what you paid for him. You know, you you can't be expecting something so huge from depth guys. Even, you know, Zuccarelli might not have gotten like the most skilled prospect back. But when you have someone like Kevin Hayes and and he's your best trade asset, you have to be going for skill. And I said that, and it was like, well, you need that to win a Stanley Cup. Like, yeah, whatever. I hear you. Yes, you do. It's nice to have, but how many character guys do you need? You don't want to be, you know, we all are sitting here talking so badly about the Islanders for rolling, you know, three fourth lines and all that stuff. Like, every single one of us made numerous cracks at that this offseason. And, I mean, like, rightfully so, but 
what what are you going to say about it? We don't have three fourth lines. We have three third lines. Like you need skill. Having said all of that, though, I don't dislike Brandon Lemieux at all. I mean, he's 22 years old, super high shooting percentage. I think like everyone needs to keep in mind, you know, when you look at his production. But he's 22. He can get. He can be an agitator. He can be a that. He could do everything that like Sean Avery could. And he's he separates himself from the Tanner Glasses and the Courtney McLeods because he can actually play hockey, even if his points aren't like the best depiction of him right now. He can actually play and you can develop that and you can work with that. And, you know, he genuinely could be a good player and hopefully not on the fourth line. If he could be a third liner, that'd be great. Even if you could somehow push to the second line, but like, even if he's a third liner, so be it. You know, if you have a third line of like him, Jesper Foss and Leah Anderson or Brett Howden, like that's not a bad thing at all. He's someone that I think David Quinn could make thrive, but I also like, you know, with every compliment, it's just like, but did you even look at the skill, guys? Did you look at Sammy Nuku? Did you even try for Nick Patan, who was acquired for, you know, essentially a fourth liner from Toronto and Parlin home? Like, did you try? So it's like both sides of the coin for me. What I, about you guys? I really don't mind not getting Nick Patan. We've, I, Murat or Murat is one of our favorite people to talk to just flat out. He's wonderful, uh, athletic writer for Winnipeg. Again, we talked to a lot of people from the athletic. Huh, so strange, hmm, weird. Huh? <laughs> huh, I wonder if they would uh, uh, come back. He he was trying to sell me on Patan. It's just, I don't know. I at some point, there's definitely skill there with him. At some point, it should have been translating by now. So I wasn't too upset missing on him. I also think, and I I wonder both your takes on this. The New York Rangers are notoriously an organization that doesn't let out any secrets that they don't want let out. And I do think it's incredibly interesting that within 20 minutes of acquiring Brendan Lemieux, his name was already back out on the market. And I I feel like there's a part of that that wasn't an accident. This is true. No, I don't think, I don't think most things from them are accidents. You know, you know, I think you can look at um, the Zuccarello situation and it was, I don't think any of it was an accident of we didn't negotiate with him. And then they turn around, oh, actually, we are negotiating with him. And we're offering him three years. And two days later, they come back. And it's kind of like, see, general managers, you were all right. We were contemplating bringing him back. And so we're going to talk about it. And then two days later, they're like, actually, we can't bring him back. He wants five years. It's not happening. Enjoy. He's all yours. And they could be completely bullshitting. But if you are convincing enough, you know, that's how you ensure you get the return that you want, because if not, you're not going to get it. Why would you, if he's going to turn around and come back? So I definitely agree with you. I think everything is curated when it comes to them with the media, you know, nothing gets out that, not, that they don't want us to know ever. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, if, if Lemieux is going to be here for the remainder of the season, I think Quinn is doing him a huge service by giving him I mean, he's he started games on the third line. I know uh, Quinn didn't like his performance against the Capitals, and his ice time got bumped down. But yeah. he he's like giving him a chance to shine, third. which I'm here for. You might as well at this point in time. I'm yeah. all for it. And he's young. Um, Look, he's young. You know, he's a character guy, but at least he's young. Like, there's potential. Yeah, we could find right. out just, if he could be something more than what, what he actually has shown to be. Right, and if there's uh, credit where credit is due, if there's any guy that might be able to get more out of Brendan Lemieux than is humanly capable, it sure feels like David Quinn because the conversations yeah. we were having about Tony D'Angelo not even three months ago are completely different than the conversations we're having now. And to an extent. I still look at it like 
I have some. I'm writing something on Tony D'Angelo now. Ooh, and like I feel like it's yeah, it's it's uh going up Thursday, I think, unless I take too long again. But you know, um, you know, like I think the conversation's still the same because you're gonna look at it and go, "Holy crap, this guy is skilled! Wow, he has an upside! Wow, he's not you know he's not as good defensively, he's so good offensively." But like I'm still looking at it and going, "This is literally his last shot." And if he does something stupid, which I'm not counting out still because like his history tells me that. He has a tendency to do stupid things that like it it could it could end like very soon for him. And I could see it that they go, let's bring up his value and trade him off. I could see them saying, let's bring up his value and hope he can be a part of the defense or let's see what he can do. And if he screws it up, what's the difference at this point? We just get rid of him for nothing. Like, I feel like my conversation with him is still like about him is still the same because I'm like, mm, this is nice. But will the other shoe drop? And I guess like I need I need to see more before I go. OK, the, we're good. The other shoe might drop, but. I believe Tony D'Angelo's value a few months ago was less than zero. I think other teams yeah, would have would have taken uh, maybe a chance at him if, if he hit the wire. I think he might have cleared waivers at some point. Now, I feel entirely different where he would have some sort of value for some sort of pick. I don't know what that pick would be. Maybe a third, yeah. a fourth. But I'm pretty sure a team would give us one of those picks for the asset of Tony D'Angelo now, whereas I think he clears the wire a couple months ago. And I think that is the yeah, that's, that's that's where I am at as well. I I 100% understand, and I, I don't know if appreciates the right word, but I 100% get that if Tony D'Angelo says one wrong thing to one wrong person, it's that's it. It's done. So we've had enough. It's one headache too many. You got to just get rid of the infected part of the body at too that much point character. in time. But like Ryan said, I do think <laughs> I I do think Tony D'Angelo today is an asset. I don't think Tony D'Angelo on Thanksgiving necessarily was. He definitely wasn't perceived as such by like any traditional person. Cause they were like, you know, at least you had, well, well look at his numbers in a small sample. Like they're encouraging you want more. And every like traditionalist was like, no, <laughs> I haven't seen enough. And it, like, they were right. They were right to an extent because it's like, you know, I think a lot of us were like, you saw it, it could be there, but how many times are you going to say it to the play? Like it's there, it's going to happen. Just wait for it. Like, you know, you got to see something at some point, but you also need the opportunity. And I think, I think with everything without you, go, well, he didn't have it. They had eight defensemen. Something I talked to Greg about before you got here was the change of identity of the Rangers over the past week. Do you feel like this is an entirely different team for the first time in years? Mm, tough call. I think last year you really saw it when you, when they got rid of JT Miller, who was thought of the, you know, the young guy. McDonough, the captain, Rick Nash, the the veteran and, you know, one of their best wingers. I think that was it. And even Grabner, because, you know, in such a short time, he became such an important piece. He was. Um, did they? I guess so. I mean, it's weird because now you're looking at it, you're like, oh, there's no Hayes. There's no Zuccarello. Like, that's two all-situation players. Like, McCoy, it's one way, you know, one way or another. I think had they made one more trade, whether it was – it could have been something as small as like Jesper Foss or it could have been something as big as Chris Kreider. I think that would have put me over the edge for like, oh, this is a different team. And maybe it's because so, like we look at these prospects so much like Philip Hill is a part of this team. Brett Howden's a part of this team. A year ago, they'd be that new face. But at this point, it's like, you know, they're not. You knew Leah Sanderson was coming back up. The only new face that's really in the in the lineup that that wasn't before is Brendan Lemieux, you know? I guess and, and, and Hayek. 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 those are the big two. I guess that's a good point. Rather, I just 
I think the Quinn effect has, t- has finally taken place, and I, I finally feel his culture has been implemented for the team. I think that's a better way to put it. Like, I think this team really has something special behind it at this point. Whereas last year, they were an absolute tire fire and garbage dump. Uh, oh, yeah. At this point in the season last year, it was like, it was hard to watch. And I think, um, maybe it was right after the All-Star break, I think we started seeing it. Like, here's this team that, like, they are, you know, going to the shootout. But they're not, like, getting lucky and going to the shootout. It's not, oh, Henrik Lundqvist got them this far. And it's like, God damn it, you got that extra point. You know, like, we were all saying that because, like, you're genuinely not not good enough. Even now we're watching and it's like, you didn't get a point, you you know, or you only got one point. They earned every single thing they've gotten. They've been so resilient, and that's something that's been missing from this team, honestly, for years. You can go back to maybe the 14-15 season, and you kind of knew when they were down in the game, they were out. The following year, it was the same thing, and it would have to be the goaltenders being unbelievable and someone finally scoring a goddamn goal, which, like, it felt like they were so hard to come by, you know, those years that Hank was just in his prime, absolutely killing it because he he just didn't have the support but like last year you look at it those games how many times did they go down in like the first minute of a period at the first minute of a game you know oh, like 17, the with 17 19 right. times yeah right right ryan and i would have a fun game played of oh is steve camper on the ice have we given up a goal yet oh it my was, god uh, it was, was a like, lot camper of stall yeah. like, i can't i can't but, i know it's camper holden can't watch yeah oh man um shannon one thing ryan and i were getting into again before you came on uh, and it kind of goes into the – not so much the Quinn effect, but the Rangers possibly finding value where value didn't exist before. Brendan Smith, mm-hmm. he's probably not one of the six best defenders on any given night on the Rangers and probably not one of the 12 best forwards on any given night with the New York Rangers. At the same time, him getting to play this utility role kind of – and not just playing the utility role, but – doing it well, it feels like the Rangers accidentally found something. And yeah. I'm not saying that it's a $4 million something, but I'm saying if money's retained, could the Rangers are, – are we at a point now with Brendan Smith where the conversation is will they buy him out, but is it – could they actually flip him for an asset? Um, hmm. I don't think they buy him out. I think that that puts them in a position they don't want to be in with the cap, especially, like, if they do go after bigger name signings because, like, this is still the Rangers. And, and this is what it comes to, you know, this is still the Rangers. It's not Jeff Gordon, but it's the Rangers. Panarin and Carlson are going to be there. They're going to be tempted. But I don't know if they want, obviously his salary is going to be more than what a buyout would, but I don't know if they want that. I think, like, the folks would definitely be trading him. You know, your defense is incredibly expensive, very bad still. You, you know, at some point you got to do something. And, you know, he looks like he would be one of the chips to fall. Um they're definitely like making him look better than last year. At this point, they at any point this year, they could have sent him down to Hartford and just been like, fuck it, we're done like we did last year. And, you know, everyone talks about the problems in Hartford and it's like, well, there's so many kids down there and it's disorganized. And I'm not saying Smith is like that veteran. I would say more of like maybe Mark Stahl is because you hear about his leadership and you don't hear the same with Brendan Smith. But like they could use a veteran defenseman down there. At any point, he could have been that. And having it work in Hartford is going to help you in the long run because you don't want it that your prize prospects that you're bringing in, that you're drafting are drowning there, which a lot of them have been. So like they made the conscious decision to keep him at the NHL level. So clearly they see some sort of value there. Is there value in playing him six minutes a night? Cause like some games, that's what you're seeing. Like 
I don't really know. It's great, like the other night. Oh, you need someone to, you know, throw in the penalty kill? Why the hell not? Let's go Brendan Smith. He'll, you know, go from forward to D. And he's fine as a forward. I think he still should get some, you know, some shifts as, as a defenseman. But again, when you bring eight defensemen back into the mix, which I'm not disagreeing with bringing Liber Hayek up because, like, you have to bring up the kids. But you just gave yourself eight defensemen again. And it shot you in the foot all season. But, like, sure, do it again, you know. Um I will, like, I will say to that point, though, Shana, I, I feel like the Rangers have moved away from feeling like Brendan Smith is a defenseman, at least in the traditional sense. I, I think if you ask David Quinn, he has in his mind 7D on the roster right now with Freddie Clayson being the extra body. Um, whether Freddie should be in the lineup, I know you and I feel a certain way about him. Yeah, uh, I've kind of given up on that fight. The Rangers, for whatever reason, view him as just purely a depth defenseman, so that's all he's going to be. Fine, whatever. Um, now that McQuaid is gone, I don't feel like Mark Stahl's Mark Stahl. I'm not, I'm not getting into it. Stahl's played well with Tony D'Angelo, too. So I'm not oh, asking for Mark Stahl to come out of the lineup. But at the same yeah. time, I don't think the Rangers view themselves as having eight defensemen on the roster. I think they see Brendan Smith as, and the thing that points this out to me is the Capitals game. Booney Evans and Connor Brickley are here. Yeah. They're healthy. They can play. The Rangers like Boo enough that they extended him, rightfully so, because he's played really well since coming back from Hartford. You had a forward you could play on that line, and the Rangers in that moment said, Brendan Smith is our fourth-line winger. So I, I really think I think Quinn, and maybe the Rangers as a whole, I don't know if they see Smith as your conventional 7D, 8D anymore. I think they see him as defensive penalty kill, more responsible defensively than Pionk in that unit, fact. And he's a defensively responsible forward who allows Filipino a little bit more wiggle room if you put him on a line together. It's interesting. I, Brendan Smith has become something I didn't think was humanly possible, which is potentially an asset again. And I, I do think, I don't know if it wasn't, I, I don't think it was intentional, but credit to Quinn for sticking with it because something seems to be working there. Yeah, you like the entire time you were just talking like sitting there nodding in my head. I'm like, yeah, you have a good point. Like I didn't think of it that way. Like yeah, and it's, I definitely agree with like you know the defensive responsibility thing. And I think it goes not just for Heedle but for Howden. You know, before he was injured, we we all were looking at him going like, oh my god, he hit the rookie wall. You got to do something. And like in my mind, that was give him Jesper Foss because that's where he was doing you know the best. And that was their answer when they wanted to get Spanajad going. Again, they were like, well, give him Jesper Foss. It'll take some of like, the defensive responsibility off him. And I was kind of like, give him to Howden. Just give him to Howden. Zabanjad doesn't need it. Howden clearly did. And now, you know, if he plays on the fourth line, he'll have Smith. And who better to give you, you know, defensive help than defensemen, in theory, I guess. Um, but that's a good point. And if it keeps Pionk off the penalty kill, I mean, by all means, do it. And I think the Pionk conversation has gone Oof. way south from where it started at the oh beginning God. of the year. Tough, yeah. tough times if, at Pionkville. If, if, yeah. yeah if, if the Tony D'Angelo stock is so much higher than it was at Thanksgiving, Pionk is the exact opposite. I'm legitimately terrified what kind of contract he's going to get this offseason. It's funny because the whole time with Pionk and everyone's like, you can't look at the numbers, yada, yada, yada. And it was like, he's getting power play points, but it was, it was more than that. It was, he's everything everyone is saying D'Angelo is. You know, he's great offensively. Yes, he needs work in the defensive zone. But look at him offensively. Look at him on the power play. Look at him doing this. He's driving offense. And it, like, he really wasn't doing any of that. He was just getting power play points. And Tom Merch Jr. had a really good idea. And he suggested um, 
like we do it and neither of us got around to it, but it was kind of like a who am I story and just comparing the stats and going through describing them. And at the end, trying to figure out which one's which and see like, does your perception of Neil Pionk actually add up to the reality? Or are you just really talking about D'Angelo the whole time, but you don't want to admit it because you don't like D'Angelo for a million reasons that no one can blame me for, but you don't like him, you know, like it's, it's so it's so weird how the conversation shifted, but it's also like it doesn't have to be the end for Neil Pionk. Like he's he's you know twenty three years old, and you have time until you know the better options do come along. And it's I'm not, I don't even know if I would say like oh it's a you know Ryan Lingerens you want to call it because like I'm just not high on him. But you know you're gonna have guys when Kendra Miller, Nils Lundqvist, and even Yegor Rakoff are ready to come into the lineup. Like you want to give them that shot, and if Pionk's not doing it, then like sorry, but uh. It isn't working, but like they need to figure out a way to adjust his role. And as much as they have, they haven't. And as much as they've acknowledged he hasn't been as good, it took, you know, what was it after the All-Star break? They're like, you know, it was his injury. He came back into the lineup and he really wasn't sure of himself. He really wasn't confident. And it's like, yes, but what about all before that? So like, I still question like how they view him and whether they see it yet. Yeah, I, I think no, it's such a litmus test this winter what they decide to do with Neil Pionk because quite honestly I'd rather the Rangers just experiment with a different defenseman in his spot next year uh I just man I remember Ryan and I would look at charting hockey graphs about Neil Pionk and see him so low and it was around the time when he had the coast-to-coast spinner-rooney goal and everyone was at their highest peak in the Neil Pionk hype and we had Sean Tierney on the podcast we're like dude just explain this to us how he's so low because our eyes are clearly telling us something different. And Sean was just, he was telling us like, be patient, more sample size will come. The real Neil Pionk will show his face just because the numbers are here now doesn't mean the numbers will always be here. He was like trying to give us this, this confidence that Neil Pionk was going to, the numbers were going to line up with the player. Ryan and I translated that as the numbers will get better. Uh, what it what it turned out being was no and Neil, Neil we Pionk got worse. We were wrong. We were wrong. <laughs> we were all wrong. I I really thought I genuinely thought you get him away from Stall, and it's not even. And I think this is where a lot of people have had their issues because they're like, well, then you're insulting Stall. I'm honest to God, not even insulting Stall at this point. Just get them away because it is entirely possible that two serviceable even defensemen can just not work out together. Two great defensemen can make a shitty pair. Like it's entirely possible for that to happen. They didn't work together. And I think had they been separated sooner, you would have figured that out. And at the very least you have a defenseman. You don't know what he can do. Clearly you don't, you see him on the power play, but you have no idea what he can do. His entire NHL career can't be stapled to the same player. Anyone else you would say like, let's shift around the pairs. They were like, and you've seen stall's been, I, I don't want to say great, but Mark Stahl has not been a liability with Tony D'Angelo. I don't think about taking Mark Stahl out of the lineup when he's paired with Tony D'Angelo. I was so all in on just one game of Clayson and Pionk. Just to see I still am. what the fuck I still would happen. Am. No, like I don't I don't think Pionk is like this like offensive wizard, but like I think his call I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna look at his Ranger career because the Rangers were horrible. So like it's not all on him. Like the Rangers, he's been playing on a crappy team. But you look at his college career, and like he was a really good offensive defenseman, which why they thought, let's make him a shutdown defenseman. Immediately when he gets called up to the NHL, I don't know. I don't understand Lindy Ruff. I will never understand Lindy Ruff. And as long as he's there, I will have a criticism for him. Like, it's the way it is. But, you know, this is an offensive defenseman from college. 
you put them with someone defensive. That's like the most traditional way that you're going to do it. It's not saying that's like the correct way that you can't have two offensive defensemen, but maybe that's what you do. Clayson, as steady as it gets defensively, not very skilled with the puck, really doesn't do much offensively, but he's there. He's steady, and he could just give you some balance. Why not? And he's left-handed. Your other defenseman that you viewed as this steady defensive defenseman was Adam McQuaid, and whether we agree or disagree on you know that being the case, he's right-handed. It didn't work. Clayson's a lefty. There you go. Like It's as simple as that. Why it hasn't happened, I just don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Adam McQuaid, by the way, a healthy scratch for the Columbus Blue Jackets tonight. And Tor- <laughs> Tortorella did not have kind things to say about him either. Did so not. It was, uh, Speed? Nope. Did not. <laughs> he basically called him a black hole. It was uh, classic Torrance. Fucking love that, man. All right, Shane. I feel, like, I feel like we've taken up a lot of your time. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Why don't you plug out what you do with your life? Okay. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at HeyShay. It's Hey with an A and then three Ys and three Ys. And um, you can see me post pictures of my dog and, you know, use my girl brains to tweet about things and you can tell me how shitty they are. And, um, oh you know, they're garbage. You could see like, you know, charts and dog things. So that's always nice. And, um, I have the D'Angelo story coming out and, uh, I'm trying to think, do I have anything else like I'm planning on doing? I, I got, might, I might I got your back and you can read that all at the athletic.com, which does not sponsor this podcast anymore. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, there you go. All right, great. Thanks so much for coming on, Shana. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, we're back. Shana, what a guest. Theathletic.com. What a website. She's smart. Good website. Just pay me. Blew your mind with the Jonah Carey shit off the podcast. Yeah, I was like, what? Jonah Carey's having the Athletic today? Unbelievable. Uh, That's a lot of money. (laughs) All right, uh, we're wrapping up the show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Another great week here at Bushwick's Breakaway. And remember, if you want to ask a question, the best way to do that is go to our iTunes and leave a five-star review with your question. And we will read your five-star review on the podcast. For example, a question that you can ask us on the five-star rated question. Mm -hmm. Ryan, do you think in your life you'll ever tell anyone with nothing but hate and disdain in your voice that you fucked their sister. Like Brendan Lemieux. Like Brendan Lemieux. Or Greg Kaplan. Uh, <laughs> no. But if you wanted to ask that question, theoretically, mm. you could go to Bushwick's Breakaway on iTunes and ask it when you, when you leave a five-star review. Just say. All I will say, all I will say, is it takes a special person to be able to utter that question, or utter that phrase, and mean it. With hate. And, and Brendan Lemieux and I have that in common. God bless both of you. I spent my weekend of having nine guys in a hot tub. That's correct. Bye, everyone. Follow us on Twitter at Orion Mead and at Blue Shirts Break. I'm at Orion Mead, obviously. And Greg tweets from the Blue Shirts Break account. Love you. See you next week.